Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional Halo opponents delve into their careers and experiences in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And I am one half of the podcast, uh, the software engineering half. My name is Brian, and I've been an engineer for just over a decade. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, and I'm John. I am the other half of the, the podcast, and I represent the product side of the fence. I've been in and around product and delivery, delivery roles and products uh, more recently for about the last 10 years. And tonight we are talking about our favorite jobs we've ever had. And I think we start every podcast with a long list of caveats, and we're not going to make this any exception. So caveats that we need to say, uh, we're talking about your favorite job minus your current job, because otherwise I think we would both cheat and say our current employer is our favorite. And then... uh, the other caveat is that we're not saying that we hated any of our other jobs. I think we both found good ways to make the best or enjoy roles that we've been in. So we're not disparaging any of the companies or positions or teams that we've worked on. We're just trying to pick out the favorite for one reason or another. So you can't say that they're all your favorite, but we're not saying that we didn't like any of them. Yeah, I think you and I are, are, are learners and we've just enjoyed learning as part of our career and we can see how each job has kind of contributed to where we're at in our career. So I think it's hard to look back at any job with complete animosity or anything of that nature. But there's just obviously with anything like even in something I love, like I like playing casual softball in the summers and like I love softball, but there's definitely games that stick out. as like that was amazing. Like same thing with jobs. Like you can have a good slew of jobs, but there's still gonna be things that stick out in your mind. It's like, man, that was that was special or that's what made that good or, or unique. So. I think that's it. Can't say your current job again for the same reason. If usually like we're so excited about the thing we're doing right now, it'd be so easy to say, man, with everything I've learned in my career, where we're at, like this job is exactly what I want to be. Like, well, no, uh, we, we want to kind of take that low hanging fruit off and kind of reflect a little bit more over both of our previous decade of experience. Your example is softball. And my example is going to be, I like all of the Star Treks, but TNG is just the best. So <laughs> Ooh, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't even disagree. <laughs> All right. So do you, do you want to go first or do you want me to? Why don't you lead us off? Okay. So, and I, I think we're not saying companies. That's the other caveat, yeah, yeah. but you can talk about like domain and, and team and whatnot. Yep. And my favorite role was one that I held uh, for about two years and transitioned away from just under a year ago. Now it was a small agile team that was uh, full stack we worked on uh, like staffing software for warehouses. And it was a, a very small team of extremely capable engineers. So it was all people who were able to, or just on the, the edge of being promoted to the next level, but were very comfortable contributing at their current level. So it was all people with the skill sets to be promoted but we're excited to contribute and support each other and build out a great team at their current level. And uh, it was just a very highly effective group of people that were building this uh, staffing software for warehouses. Any other attributes I should hit off the bat or is that a good enough picture? I guess, I mean, the first observation slash question is you went directly for team slash culture you didn't even mention really too much of what the actual work or role or responsibilities were uh i mean is that even worth mentioning kind of what the work was or was it really what stands out to you like it was the people in the culture that made the difference the the people in the culture made the difference the technology 
the actual domain, and I, I wonder if we'll get into this now, but the domain itself, the software we were writing was interesting because it was complex and it was involved and it was intricate, but it wasn't, it's usually not the software or the domain that really catches my attention. It's doing something new, learning a new, new domain is always fun, but I'm almost more interested in tech stack and type of thing that you're doing than business problem that you're solving. And you know, you need to solve business problems. You can't just work on tech stacks. Uh, so the top thing for me that made this team and made this job my favorite was the group of people that it was with. And then the tech stack was very, very cool. So they we had invested a good amount of time into serverless infrastructure. We had invested a good amount of time into NoSQL. Our data model fit that very well. We had predictable access patterns. We were streaming data and metadata to... Uh, BI environments where we could do longer analysis and more in-depth research. Um, the software was both high throughput in terms of total transactions and high impact in terms of how important those transactions were. And then it also had this really fun linear programming math model behind it where we were optimizing for the best, safest, most fun staffing assignments for people in warehouses. So the the tech stack and then the domain were were also very interesting. But I the culture and the people were really what made it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of what I was hoping to draw out a little bit is it wasn't even like it was to the exclusion of the other thing. Like there were still a lot of other things about this job that like that people would geek out about or like, man, I want to go work on this because of the tech stack, because of the modern way of, of developing that tech stack, because of the new tooling and the new mindset. Like there's a lot of things about the roles, responsibility, and even the problems that you were trying to solve. But despite all that being positive, the thing that you still point to is the people in the team and the mentality. Yeah. So it's, it almost speaks more to the people in the team and the mentality because of it wasn't like everything else was trash, but man, it was a great team. It was like, no, it was actually great. Like this would be like a dream gig for a lot of people. And I had an amazing team. <laughs> and the part that I was really juiced about was the amazing team. Yeah. So and there's there's something too knowing that you're so one, knowing that you're on a team of people who are as smart or smarter than you and you can trade work, you know you've got good coverage. And then there's also something to be said for knowing that you're not the smartest person in the team or in the room. And you've got people to learn from and people with more expertise and experience and time in the field. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's it really does say something that the tech stack was as fun for me as it was, and I still default to people culture. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um my turn then. Should I try yeah, to at least favorite, kind of crack up on my side? Yeah. Um my favorite job was my first product job. And I think it was because the first time I, I kind of got an official product owner role. Um, and I think it was just because I was drinking from the fire hose, but I was so enamored and enthralled by what the product role was that it just felt like fitting my foot into the perfect shoe. There's just like, I'm so excited. Like I'm so new. I'm so green. I don't know what I don't know, but there's something about that that is just as like, this fits like this is this is uh -huh. awesome. Um, and I think that got me very excited when I was first jumping the product, because to that point, a lot of delivery, um, a lot of here's your project, go get it defined, go get it built, go get it tracked, go get it delivered. Um, and which I, I excelled at. I was great at it. I mean, that was my bread and butter. And if I had to fall back on something I needed in the job tomorrow, like I could easily fall back into a delivery position and, and be a great execution of delivery plans and processes and process improvement. Um, but when I got to get into product, it was more 
what are we building? Why are we building it? And who are your clients? And what is the problem you're trying to solve? Or even finding what is the problem um, that you should solve? Not just here's the problem, go solve it. But what is even the right problem to solve? Like starting getting into like being able to mesh the business side and exploration and leadership with delivery. It was just like finding a whole new, like, this is a job. Like I can go do this. Like this is, I can play to all of these things I'm interested in. Um, so when I first got into that product role, um, and, um, to the team that I got put on to where I was moving from waterfall to agile and learning product and learning new delivery methods and learning scrum, like it was just so much learning, um, to kind of put on top of the base I had of of software delivery. Um, that was huge. And it just, it was a fun, it was a fun six months to a year and a half. I would say when I was drinking from that fire hose, just to become a kind of like a base level, a level PO, uh, product owner, um, in an organization. So you hit it a little bit and I'm, I'm trying to go back and think if it occurred to me, one, if I know the job you're talking about, which we're not going to say here. And two, if I knew at the time that was your first product owner role. It was. And then you said a couple of times drinking from the fire hose, how much imposter syndrome did you have making that transition? I have more imposter syndrome now than I ever had before. Um, I think it goes with being uh, ignorant. Like it's crazy to think that, that was five years ago. Like that was half my career ago at this point. This five, six years ago when I got that first product role. Um, so again, I've been in software delivery for over 10 years now, but my first product role was about five years ago, maybe six, actually, not that that year makes so much of a difference. So I would still say I've grown up a lot in the last six years, both actually at work and at work. And so there was a level of, I can do whatever the heck I want mentality still <laughs> like experience what's experience. Like, come on, I can do this. Anybody can do this. This is easy. Like, just go do it. Like, can go learn and go figure it out. Like I can figure out anything. I can run anything. Like, just give it to me. Uh, I think there was still some of that mindset to where now it feels like, Oh man, being around the block a few times and being in situations counts for something, uh, knowing that you don't know it all. And that the best thing you can usually do is ask one more question than to make an opinion or make a statement. Like, I think there's stuff I've learned now to where I think I have more imposter syndrome now, even though probably I have more experience to where then it was just all like, yeah, it was drinking from the fire hose, but there was never, I mean, you, you've known me since first grade, ego's never been an issue. There was never a question of if I could figure out or if I could do it, I knew I could do it. I could do it. I could do it better than I needed to. So, mm-hmm. so then so I, I'm probably the same way that I, now that I'm thinking about it, where I have more imposter syndrome now as someone who is more experienced. So then my other question is, how often did you realize you didn't know what you were doing yet or have to, you know, learn something from scratch in that job? You know, it's kind of funny because maybe it's a little tongue in cheek, maybe it's talking out of both sides of my mouth, but Despite that ability and confidence to go take on almost anything at that time, I was I've always generally been a pretty good question asker. Like, um, so I don't pretend to know what I don't know. I know I can learn it. I know I can figure it out. And once I have the information, I know I can I can utilize that information and and run with it. Um, but when I didn't know what's up, I, I was still I think I was still fairly good at asking questions about what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that helped in that process. So does that does that kind of answer the question you're, you're getting at? Yeah. And I think what I'm noticing is one of the things I loved about my job or my, the favorite job that I'm talking about was how often I was learning something completely new mm-hmm. and I, I didn't know enough. And it was an opportunity to gain some experience and gain some knowledge that I'd never looked at or explored before. And it, it sounds like that might resonate where oh, the two favorite jobs had a lot of learning curve and a lot of new things to discover and a lot of new things to unravel. 
Yep. And it sounds kind of crazy because again, agile is kind of the normal now, but even, even just six years ago, I was coming out of a, a big corporation that was still very much waterfall driven and like your quarterly releases or monthly releases into more of an agile ish waterfall <laughs> company, uh, but still more agile. So it was one of those things where I was to use this as an example, like I was learning what it meant to scrum, what it meant to have concept sessions and grooming sessions and sprint plan and hold the sprint goals. And what happens if you have an interruption in the middle of sprint? Nobody says you're, you're not supposed to have it. Everybody has them. Like, what do you do in those situations? Like, oh my goodness. And, but then it's just like, once you understand that flow, how do you optimize it? How do you get better at it? How do you like, how can you implement with your team? How do you work with your specific team? Like the, the learning of the general idea was the new part being able to take a concept and go to drive on that and implement that concept and implement that process and enhance on that process that I would say came out of almost some of that delivery stuff I was doing before. So mm -hmm. there's, there was just enough new combined with just enough that I was confident in um, to where I could ask the questions. I could be the student, but while I was being the student, it didn't prevent me from being able to go and implement. So it just, it was fun because while I was learning, I could still see I still see, I saw tickets going across the board. I saw projects being completed. I saw things moving, even though I was so new to this. And like I said, the growth curve in that year and a half, um, it maybe was longer. Like I said, I, I feel like that growth curve always feels like it's going, but like the growth curve from when I started to like 18 months later or, you know, something of that nature, like I think it was pretty major. And it's just fun to be able to go through growth like that and still be completing something, still be achieving something. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, so yeah, the learning, the learning is, is huge for me. Um, and again, the people who you do it with matters. Like I, I think we're going to get into upon our next questions of, uh, who is your boss? I think is kind of where we're going and I'll, maybe I'll just preempt a little bit and say, I had a great mentor for that. Like I jumped into that role. Um, and you could always poke holes and, and point out strengths and weaknesses, but for coming in and not knowing how to be a product owner, I had a great, I had a great manager. I had a great manager that was able to teach me the basics of how to go be a product owner. Um, and it made a huge difference. So I'll, I'll flip it back to you on that note, kind of a little transition segue there. So you mentioned your team. How was your manager in that situation? Like, did your manager make or break it? Was he just another high achiever that was making things warm and fuzzy? Was it a different attitude? Like, it's what, how, what role did the manager play in that role, in that position? So I had, and I'm trying to count now, <laughs> five managers. <laughs> For that job oh, and man. five and how long it, it was two years i had five Ooh. managers in two years Ooh. and you can tell that there was some churn there <laughs> so there was there was definitely some higher level org uh restructuring that needed to happen and was in progress as i was there so i i would say some of them were average some of them and a couple of them really excelled but the thing, the manager or the person that I looked to for leadership, I should say, was the senior engineer on the team and, you know, titles be what they yeah. are, but he was a tech lead for a group of, of a dozen roughly. And he had an, uh, a very strong blend of empathy and emotional intelligence and technical ability, and then just general critical thinking skill. So, and communication skill, he was a very, very talented engineer and he provided a level of consistency and direction that really stabilized the team through some of those ups and downs, or, you know, all the churn around the management. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> my HR manager, the people manager wasn't as impactful for the job satisfaction just because they kept rotating, but having that consistent senior engineer where I felt like I could learn from him 
Um, you know, and he clearly was more experienced than I was, even if he had spent less time digging into our code base and his ability to direct and buffer the team was really, really impressive. So he contributed a lot to the team culture and building out that dynamic. And again, I, I maybe I'm, I'm reading into the situation a little too much, but when you listed off all kind of like the stuff around the technology you're using, the tech stack you're using, like that's all pretty new stuff. So I could imagine that being a pretty volatile, like working on one thing the next day, working the next thing the next day, like not necessarily be able to sit down and work on the same thing for for days or weeks on end. Like it, it feels like one of those environments where it's new and cutting edge and maybe you're jumping around a lot. So for a manager to come in and be able to kind of help still stabilize that when you're in more of a... Um, a cutting edge team or working on cutting edge proposals that almost never go according to plan, having that kind of stable leadership is, is crucial. Yeah. And that's, that was a big part of it. And something I, I greatly appreciated about his skill set was that he didn't necessarily need the fine grained detailed knowledge. He could deduce about systems and about performance for, you know, systems as a whole and understand bottlenecks and whatnot, and kind of look around corners in that way without having literally read the function or the API endpoint that you were going to. And then as soon as it was clear, it would be helpful for him to do that. He could pop open that .java or whatever language it was in and crawl through it and then produce useful insights and you know make changes that were helpful. So it was that combination of things. It's that better on the block thing that I was referring to again too. It's like anybody can maybe dive in and look at the code and figure it out and do it, but to just kind of have a familiarity with I've done something like this before. And have you seen this gotcha? Or have you asked this question? Or I know you got that answer, but you might want to ask that question again, because it just doesn't seem quite right. Like just that, mm-hmm. that kind of perspective, um, both from an engineering side and a product side um, is, is super helpful. Yeah. So I didn't ask, so your manager, you mentioned that it, uh, your manager was a great mentor, provided mm-hmm. a lot of product expertise. Did you feel like you got more domain knowledge and experience or product um, expertise, like product approach expertise or people leadership, all of the above. I feel like she, again, for where I was at, she was exactly what I needed because I think it was mostly product knowledge. Um, not that she didn't have the domain knowledge. She was, she was, she knew her domain very well, but what she was setting me up with was the, how to be, a product owner. What is it to be a product owner? How do you ask questions? How like how do you determine what to work on next? How do you get user feedback and do user interviews? How, like, and again, always at a basic level, all these things you could enhance on like user interviews. Like you could deep dive into that and have a whole career just around setting up user interviews and getting correct feedback and not getting biased feedback. Like, but just introducing to those things at a foundational level of like what are the things a product owner should be thinking about? How do you continue on the delivery side, but also then add in the the front thinking as well as the back end of not just delivering it, but how do you train your customer service? How do you update sales so they don't want to sell? How do you so just Give me that front to back. How do you own a product um, mm-hmm. is what she really helped me with. And again, with how short this conversation, I was going to go more detail than that. But that was mostly what she helped for. But you hinted at something that I would definitely credit her for as well, which is the buffer. Um, and that is just being able to keep out the noise sometimes for for you for me to be able to live in that space. Now, as you and I both got more senior we now become the buffer. We get exposed to a little bit more of the noise and we're trying to keep that noise from rolling down to our teams. Um, and and that's been a huge thing. But the reason why I put so much value on that now that I'm in more of that position is because I had several managers that would let me and give have the space and give me the space to work on things um, and be that buffer from some of that outside noise. So um, yeah, 
And it's when in the, the learning phase, within the individual contributor phase, like that buffer is is huge. And even after when you've got a manager or a leader who says, like, send the problem to me. I've got your back. Yep. I'll, like, I'll, I'll buffer that. Send the VP to me. You know, I'll, I'll have the hard conversation with them or whoever is trying to bump this project or whatever it is. And so even, you know, no matter what the level is or what the scope of your influence is, having that leader who is willing to dive in and be the kind of the person who takes it for the team yep. and blocks for the team is really helpful. It's a side tangent, but it's actually one of the things that current current job, current situation that I'm having to work on the most. I'm trying to gain that trust with my engineers and with my team of like, this stuff is stuff you don't have to worry about. If someone's come and tapping you on the shoulder, come to me. If someone is arguing about priority, come to me, like send them my way, like trying to be that buffer to where like, I, it's, it's a fine line, especially when you're in startup land or growth phase land, because there's a lot more open to everybody. Like you, it usually there's transparency is a buzzword. Like you want to share what's the roadmap? What are we thinking about? What are all the considerations? What's all the things going on? And like management wants to be very transparent. Um, but unfortunately that transparency, which is good, I would say in general ends up rocking the boat. I mean, you know what it's like to be an engineer and like, Oh yeah, we got this new initiative coming out next week and we're so excited about it. And you're like, well, what about the thing I've been working on for six months? And all of a sudden you have all these questions going through your head of like, well, am I going to have a job next quarter? And why are we changing direction and all this stuff? And it's like, that wasn't the goal, but my job right now is trying to figure out how to communicate or at least reassure to my team, you know, when we get those kind of shifts or we get that transparency news, um, how do we still keep our heads down? How do we make sure we're still mm -hmm. working on the right thing and, and kind of act as that buffer for, for our team? So that buffer is important to me because I've seen it derail myself. Like I've been derailed by it when I haven't had it and like not ready for information uh, at the time of where I was at or not needing information at the time and then being distracted by it. So I hate when team members and team members get pinched and feel like they're getting miscommunication and misdirection. So being that buffer it was huge for me. And I think I learned that also from that first manager. So it's a little bit of a side tangent, not so much, you know, what was my favorite job I ever had or role I ever had, but I just feel like that buffer role could be its own whole topic yeah. we could get into someday because I think it's huge. And you and I both mentioned that our managers helped us with that and that role that we appreciated so much. I'll add it to the list and make one buffer comment. <laughs> um, the So the other thing that I loved about the job <laughs> that I'm picking as my favorite was that it was a pretty sharp contrast from the role that I had held immediately before, where just by nature of the job I was in, there was more whiplash, there was more pivoting, there were a lot more priority shuffles. And then I went into a team where there was still plenty of priority juggling and there was still plenty of debate over, you know, do we need to blow up the sprint or is something else taking higher priority? But there was also like a six month roadmap. And for better or for worse, it was followed pretty closely where projects were either well-funded and committed to or not. And that was just a nice contrast for, for me at the time. And not everybody likes yeah. that. Not everybody likes having six months laid out in front of them and just doing it. But at different times in your career, I think that could be a really nice transition if you are looking for it. Yep. And I think we've already talked about learning of, and like, you know, something we enjoyed about this role is how much we learned. But I think there's nothing wrong with taking roles that are specifically different than what you've done before just to learn. 
Um, again, maybe job market's changing now and we could go into whole predictions and everything like that. But at a time when engineers are in high value and product owners are in high value, things like that, like going and working at a place that actually has a six month, nine month roadmap versus a place where your priorities change every month. Like that's a good experience going and working at a place that uh, we've talked about other things being product driven or engineer driven. It's good to have that experience working at big, working at small. It's good to have that experience. Like I think you find out what you like and eventually you, you kind of know, like, I don't need to go play that game again. I, I kind of understand mm-hmm. it. And, I, and that's not for me. Uh, but, uh, I think, you know, we both just expressed how much learning has been a part of our career and especially the roles that we've liked the most that I just think there's value in that. If, if you have that luxury, it's definitely a luxury. Yeah. That's a great transition. Um, What, what did your average day look like at your favorite job? Or was there even an average day? No, no. On on product there's never an average day because depends on what initiatives are at what point of your, you know, and what is your product doing at that point in time like are you building this brand new feature for your product that you know first involves user interviews for for one month and then involves design session with your engineers and designers turned on the for another month and then you're into sprint planning and when you're sprinting it out and doing the work then you're going to talk to sales and like it just it this the scope changed so much every day um i would say it's pretty meeting heavy usually in the product world like <clears throat> i'm learning to have more time to get more into buzzwords again, data analytics and and making sure that, you know, we're actually following the data and setting the right KPIs and setting the right things. And that takes brain power. That takes, that takes heads down, you know, pen and paper time and even data time to make sure you're doing that correctly. Are we trying to solve the right things? Are we, are, are we measuring that we're solving things the right way? So more of those are fitting into my, my day now than they used to. And again, I'm in a very similar product role. That's why I'm kind of jumping to today. Let me clarify that. Um, But it's still very meeting heavy because usually it's either, you're either writing stories or grooming stories or concepting the next idea or communicating what you're working on, trying to advocate why you're working on what you're working on. Like it's just, it's usually pretty meeting heavy in some realm of the ideation to concepting, to building, to delivery phase of the mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, it's a very convoluted process and not very specific, but every day is different. Yep. So on you? the, on the engineering side, I, when I started the job, I was probably 80 to 90% code and like 10 to 20% people, maybe even closer to the 10 side. And then over the course of the time I was there, I found a really nice balance for me at the time of 20 to 30% people, 70 to 80% code. And so an average day looked like, um, you know, chatting with people for a little bit of time to make sure we were on the same page or answer a question about a piece of the software that I was familiar with that they hadn't looked at yet. And then the vast majority of my time was deep diving uh, code, making in-depth changes, making, you know, complex edits to stuff and, um, you know, testing that the serverless stack was going to scale the way that it was meant to, uh, you know, designing NoSQL data models and predicting usage patterns and whatnot. So that was an average day for me was um, maybe an hour or two of meetings, uh, depending on the day, and then lots of time in an IDE uh, <laughs> working away on Keyboard stuff. warrior, keyboard yeah. warrior. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, that's your ideal space. Maybe not so much anymore, but man, I knew you lo- you loved coding. You loved building and engineering things, and yep. I know you still do. Um, for me, yeah, like you said, even today it, and, and back then, a light day is three hours of, of meetings a day, I would say most days are four to five. And there's the one or two days a week that are usually heavier than that, like six or seven hours of meetings. So um, 
I don't know. I just, I've always been in a role where meetings and Slack and email and communication were always a main piece of the job. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like I'm an engineer that's like, dang, I had to check my email every three hours to make sure I didn't miss anything. Like I got an email and I try to keep my email in my inbox as much as possible. Like it, it, if nothing going on, I go check my email. If nothing going on, I go check Slack. Like, you know, it's my job is communication. A large part of my job is communication and communication. Uh, yeah, just communication uh, between different groups in different ways. I'm going to lean into the engineer stereotype and ask, do you like that? I do. <laughs> And I, I know, and I, I, I love writing code. I love going, you know, going really deep on stuff, but it's nice to have the variety. And at different points in my career, I've kind of fluctuated up and down on the people side of things. Um, But that's kind of what I'm wondering is, do you ever need a break from the intense people or can you do that day in and day out and feel (laughs) energized at the end of your day? I think there are. Yes. I mean, the easy answer is yes. Like that, that is probably just a personality difference of, of kind of the ideal job and, and the job that engineers versus product versus different sales for that matter. Take, um, as a product owner, I want to make sure I'm not over speaking again, opinions, growing product owner, only been a product owner for four years. Like I'm sure I might have a different opinion about this in six, seven years, but there's very little, or there's limited scope that a product owner can do flat out on their own. Um, almost everything you do is done in the realm of the scrum team or with stakeholders or, uh, with, with partners. Um, so even the offline work that you end up doing, such as writing user stories or coming up with an initial design or writing definition or writing use cases, um, like even that work that you do on the end, it all eventually gets reviewed with somebody else who might tweak it, edit it, update it, add to it, refute it. So like almost nothing do you do, do you just sit down, do it, complete it. And it's out the door. Like that's just not, that's not the role of a product owner. So even when you have that offline time to do things, it's almost always brought into a community situation again at some point. Um, and I do enjoy that because I enjoy this. I mean, this is why we're doing the podcast. I love the back and forth. I like saying something like, huh, I think I might've said that wrong. Actually, I don't think that way. Like that's a really good point, Brian. We should, we should talk about this. Like, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and so those dialogues and those meetings, um, are huge or I, I enjoy them. Uh, I actually struggle with then translating the meetings to go taking the, the tangible follow-ups that have to get done on pencil and paper, um, and making sure those get done. I would rather sit and plan and, and talk and discuss and, and implement all day, um, going and then documenting the, <clears throat> the use case and writing a user story for it isn't, is, is probably the least exciting part about my job. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a what's a heavy offline day for you? What's a, like are you you're writing short user stories? User stories so you yeah, got, you're writing ten short user stories, or you're writing. The problem a is user stories are never vision. short. Like okay. I, I'm probably, I think there's a good way to do user stories. I think there is good formatting and, and a reason to discuss what is the way that we do user stories at our company. I am not a person that thinks you have to have every dot you know, I dotted and every T cross and these things has to be perfectly formatted. Like as a blank, I need to do blank. So that blank, here's my acceptance criteria. Like, I, I think that's a good format. Um, but there's still a lot of intentionality that goes into at least what you're trying to communicate in those user stories. So whether you're formatting it to death or you have 10 different, you know, stuff that every user story has to include these things. Like there's still a lot of thought that goes into, okay, I wrote this user story and it covers this scope of work. Now I need to write another user story to make the next scope of work. Of, oh, shoot, I forgot that step. Does it fit in one of those two existing user stories? Or do I got to write another user? 
they're trying to take an overall vision of a initiative and get it broken down into user stories. Um, takes a lot of tracking. Um, again, when you look at each of them individually, they a lot of times make a lot of sense. But where I found product owners can provide the most insight isn't just on an individual story. It's making sure that we have the coverage or the holistic view or that when we actually complete all the user stories, mm-hmm. we actually met what we were trying to do when we set out to write the user stories. So user stories is definitely a big offline work. One second. Sorry, cough. Um, I would say a lot of the other offline work involves... Um, Usually it's product knowledge. Like it's literally just going and if it's a website, it's going and playing with a product, seeing how other products are working. Like if you're working on health software, going and checking out other soft health software. If you're working on a website, go check out common other websites. If you're working on a marketing uh, or a checkout flow, go check out other checkout flows. Like um, there's a lot of research that goes into like what, what, how should we solve this or what does this look like or how does the product function? How does the industry function? There's a lot of that work. Um, a lot of it comes back to data too. Like for example, I think I lost, not lost. I spent, oh man, I would probably put it close to 20 hours over the last week and a half to two weeks, probably two weeks in a spreadsheet. Um, just trying to uh, take information that I already have. Um, it's economic information. It's it's how, do, how does my current company make money um, in the different way contracts are no- negotiated. Taking that from a format that exists today and rewriting it from scratch just to prove that I understand what those concepts are and also rewriting them in a way that doesn't look like it's needed for accounting, but writing it for a way that makes sense to an engineer um, because we had to go, re- we had to go build this tool. So that's, that's again, 20 hours of just offline reading a contract, looking at a current formula or current spreadsheet, trying to translate that to my own inputs and outputs in a model that works in an Excel spreadsheet uh, just to make sure I understand the product. Now, not every product is that complicated, but that product knowledge takes a lot of that offline work. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. A little bit of a ramble, but does that does that help a little bit? Yeah, it's fascinating because that's, and it's different work, it's different offline work, but that's the thing, that's the stuff that I'm trying to move meetings out of the way to do. <laughs> you know, like yep. the, the offline work is most of the value that I provide and and not most maybe, but it's a lot of the value that I provide is the content that I produce not on a meeting with somebody else. So it's interesting that it's that it's flipped. And then I was also curious, like I've never known exactly what artifacts a product owner produces. And some of them come downstream to me, like you know the, yep. the user stories or whatever. I probably see at some point, but some of the other things are less likely to come into my sphere. Yeah, and it's really hard because I think how soon should an engineer be involved in a project? You know, that's, that's a classic yeah, question. Yeah. There. Everybody has a different opinion <laughs> on it. And the, the popular answer is as soon as they can be, we want them involved mm-hmm. at early front. And I actually really do believe that, but as an engineer, you most care about that hard requirement that comes at the end. As long as I'm not asking you to write the system, as long as I'm not breaking the rules of how our system works with the gift technology we have, as long as I'm within the scope of what an engineer can really say, like, okay, you're not asking for the moon. You're asking for a change, but until you define the change, you're good. Like, don't bug me until you have it defined. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of conversation that goes into what is being defined. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of, that can be where sometimes an engineer has our time of it. Just like you, I don't want to overstate, but like to some degree, you don't care until it is, I want X, Y, and Z to then equal a, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's what you want, but should it be X times Y minus Z? Should it be X divided by Y times Z? Like, because if we do it this way, one way we get 0.01% of the margin. Another way we get 0.012% of the margin. Like, is that a big enough of a deal to now add complexity on the engineer? Like 
all those are conversations that we have to have. And so even like I said, all this pre-work and product knowledge that I do, very rarely am I making that decision in a bubble. It's, hey, I try to understand this, again, current example, that the 50 different contracts we have and the 50 different ways you've done this economic model. Partnership team, can I convince you to hold yourself to these three models that if, you know, and you're only, you're only going to serve up these three models. And it hits 80% of the cases and the other ones would match these cases if you're willing to not have these caveats and would still be within the same revenue that we're having today. Like, I can't go make that decision as product owner. So that's a conversation that I want engineering to be involved in. I want to hear them to understand what the questions are, what we're working through. But at the end of the day, the engineers wants to know what model do you want me to go build and how customizable and configurable do you want it? Like, what are the levers you want to be able to pull? What are the inputs? And what do you want me to have the outputs be? So I can understand you're like, oh, I just want that to be offline work. But from a product perspective, like that can't be offline work. Like the prep work is offline, but the conversation of what are we going to go build? I, I, I can almost never make that decision on my own. Another weird caveat though, one of the biggest strengths of product is knowing what decisions to make in an, in, in an instant. Um, because again, it goes back to the 11th hour of, you have option A and option B and engineers looking for an answer. I don't want to mm-hmm. take a week to get back to them. It's like, he'd say, make it a capital instead of a lowercase. Yep. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> like, move yeah. on. Like, this is not what we need to go take back through. So uh, again, it, as with everything, there's usually two sides to the coin, but um, almost everything a product owner do, I feel like usually gets reviewed or discussed at some point. So that mm-hmm. offline work usually is just feeding the the meetings. Yep. So. Yeah, and I, I I'm leaning into the engineer stereotype a little bit. And the I think the further into my career I get, the more I do value the online, the interactive, synchronous chats, check-ins, stuff like that. And so I think also depending on the company you're at and whether it's engineering-driven or product-driven, that line of just hand me requirements will be very different. But I think at some level, there still is that where, mm-hmm. you know, as an engineer, you might spec out this project and this proposal and pull the data together and say, this is why I think we should do this. But then at some point you hand it over to the product people and you say, go fight with the VPs about priority and come <laughs> back to me when you've got a list. Yep. <laughs> and until yep. then, I'm not going to build the thing because you may not choose to. Because you're going to change so. it. I don't want to waste my time. And yeah. I've been through the circus before. <laughs> and as a product owner, like as a good product owner, it goes back to earlier. You want to protect your team. Like your engineers are your team. Like I, I know engineers don't usually report into product and I don't think they should, but trust me, I feel like my engineers are my engineers. Like I talk about them as my engineers and not in a possessive, like do what I say engineer, but like you are my team. And so when I'm jerking my engineers around, I hate it. Like mm-hmm. I absolutely hate it. I don't want you guys to feel defeated in your job. Um, and so it goes back to that buffering. Um, and I think it goes back to where you're at in your career. Like, again, going back to my early product owner, I had that manager that buffered. He's like, just go learn how to be a product owner. Like, just go be a product owner. Don't worry about the politics. Don't worry about the shifting things. If something comes down that's going to impact you, I'll let you know. Uh, don't worry about the speculation. Like, here's your scope. Go learn how to be a product owner uh, on these products. Um, now, I would feel... Uh, miffed if I was left out of some of those planning conversations and those things like that. And I think same thing for, uh, again, if you're being a staff and engineer or a senior or a tech lead, you know, whatever definition or, or however you cut those up, like the expectation of what you're signing up for versus if you're just uh, a mid-level or entry level is different. And if you get to a senior level and you still just want to be a keyboard word, that's fine. I have great senior engineers that want no part of kind of that more tech lead or, or, or solutions architect role. Um, and they're still worth their weight and gold uh, for everything they do as a senior engineer. But then you need to be clear about where that engineer should be on your team and what they should be involved in. So, yeah. 
Anyways, we're getting way off job topics, but uh, I. But this is why I love. This is why I loved uh, my 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 job when I first got into this role, um, and it's why we took off the current. Like, why well, you can't say your current job because my current job is just expanding those responsibilities into new into new levels. So, um, yeah, I love I love the product role. So if I was gonna be asked what was my favorite job, it would have to be when I first found product, and I was just amazed by all the things I could I could start to like what I like doing has a definition. Like there's a role for this. Like I, this is a job that I can go do and I can love and enjoy. Like it was, it was exciting. I didn't ask that upfront. When did you say this one's going to be fun? When did you know that it was going to be a fun wild ride of a job? I had a hint. I had a feeling like I actually, I had to go for the product role twice at this company. I went for the product role once. Um, and as the, one of the hiring, um, co-workers at the time that used to, they ended up becoming my team way uh when i didn't get it the first time they said dude you ran into a buzzsaw called experience and they brought in a product owner that uh and had like 10 years of like product experience so um that's the i then i went for it again um and i got it the second time it actually actually became really good friends with uh with the gal who got the product position before me um but i knew that product had more of that what are we building and why mentality to it and I thought that was the piece of kind of software development, lifecycle, you know, delivery, you know, startup. I felt like that was the piece I was missing. Um, so I had a feeling it was going to be good. And as soon as I got in, um, yeah, uh, it, it played to my strengths. It definitely played to my strengths. So I knew pretty well. Uh-huh. Yeah. You? Uh, so at the company I was working at, they do a team match pattern. So you do all of the rigorous, horrible, uh, terribly demoralizing tech engineering interviews, and then you do your behavioral interviews, and then you know you're going to get an offer, you do team match, and that's where you get to interview the team, and they interview you to decide if you're a good fit as an engineer for that group. So before I joined the team, I had already dug pretty deep into what's your tech stack, what's your business domain, how do you run your scrum meetings? You know, how do you do pointing? I had gone pretty in depth on that stuff. So day one, I knew one, I was going to learn a ton. Uh, two, the tech stack was going to be a blast. And three, the team was high performing. Um, you know, lots of very, very talented engineers. So I, I knew right away that it was going to be a good one. Yeah, I. Oh, God, I want to make sure I phrase this correctly. See, the podcast is making me slow down and make sure I'm saying what I mean, which is great. This is this is awesome. Um I love being on a high performing team. Um, and I think that's been some of the most frustrating times in my career going to the flip side is when there is that lack of, I don't know if the right word is ambition, lack of ownership. There's probably a lot of different lenses you could look at it through, but when, when, when you have that, that lack of excitement for what you're doing, it, man, that's, that is also contagious in a negative way. So being on a team that's just like, you know, we, we still, we, we're still not killing ourselves. We're not working 80 hour work weeks. We're not expecting to lose work-life balance, but when we're at work, we come in, we work and we pound out awesome stuff and we deliver awesome code and we deliver cool features and our customers are happy. Like when you're on a team that has that mentality. Yeah. yeah. I, I've commonly said, I, I'm backtracking it more lately, but I've commonly said the domain probably matters the least to me when picking a job, mm-hmm. like the team and the role matter a lot to me more than domain. I'm getting to the point to where I would love to work on a domain that I'm just giddy about. I would love to be in a domain that I just can't, you know, just I, I, a domain that I'm personally excited about. Again, whether that be video gaming, whether that be sports, whether that be nonprofit, like I would, it would be awesome to be in a domain more so than ever. I think that I really am excited about. 
But when it comes to simply enjoying work, man, the team, uh, the culture, who you work with, mentality, um, and the role, I think make the biggest difference. Yeah, my rule, my domain rule is that I have to be able to connect the dots between what I do and some kind of positive in the world. Like I have to be convinced that the code I'm writing is doing good and not hurting people. Barring and barring that rule being violated, I care very little about the domain. Learning your business domain is mostly an excuse for me to write code about it. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and again, I, I understand that because I even did that from the product side. Like I've been in health, banking, and travel. Um, and so more finance, I would say more finance than even banking. There's a little bit of a distinguishment there. Um, and none of those are, are like really super exciting. Me. Health was fun. Like there's a lot to learn there. And again, there is that inherent uh, connection to, uh, you know, patient care and delivering good care and whatnot. You also learn that there's a lot of doctor and provider owners out there that are just and business owners out there that are just greedy and in it for the money. So, I mean, there's still the negative side to it, even in healthcare. <laughs> um, travel is fun, but I... I'm a homebody. I like traveling and, I'm, and I think it's a fun domain, but I'm, I'm still kind of a homebody more times than not. So again, up to this point, domain's probably been the least factor in, you know, favorite job or do I like what I'm doing? Um, it's definitely been more of that high functioning team. I, I love not being the smartest person in the room. I love not being the smartest person. In the yeah. Room. Um, my, especially if you're the team that likes to teach. My domains, uh, insurance, security, healthcare, delivery, logistics, Bluetooth. So I, I don't care about the domain, <laughs> you know, yep. not much at least. It doesn't really yep. matter. So what well, was the thoughts? weirdest, oh, go ahead. what was the weirdest day at this job? We didn't talk about this because oh, we talked about the average, like average day of a really good job. What was the weirdest? And it can be weirdest in a good way, weirdest in a bad way. Any days stick out in your memory as being like really bizarre. No, I mean, I hate to just completely blank on the final question, but I mean, there's not a single day that I went like, man, that was just an odd day. Um, well, I have two. <laughs> you should go for it. I you take it away. Yours. You take it away and I'll see if I can come back to one. But I nothing jumping out at me. So I'll do two then and I'll, I'll keep them short in case you come up with one. But the two weirdest days were the day that I was on a Sev1 outage call with my boss's boss's boss from... 6 p.m. until 4 a.m. the next morning. And we had our service was an authentication authorization service for a lot of warehouses in North America. And we went down. We went hard down. And uh, I was my wife was working. I had my daughter with me. I made her play in my office for two hours until her mom got home. And then, uh, you know, my wife had to bring food home and like pull her kid out and feed her. And in the middle of, you know, apologizing to all these VPs about why my toddler was screaming in the background. And, uh, you know, it was it was just a weird day because I had never talked to so many important people. I had never had so many important people watching me screen share going through network throughput logs and, you know, analyzing packet sizes and whatnot. And I had never been under that much pressure to try and fix something but had that much support from my team where it, you know, there was a, there was an incident response person who wasn't me and they were just taking in work and delegating it out. And you had a team of a dozen highly talented, brilliant engineers helping you dissect a problem and dig into it. So that was a very weird day. Uh, the other weird day was a Frank's little one for more. me. Okay. Yeah. Right, you go again, but again, at least reminds one for me. Cool. Uh, so the other weird day was we were, 
and I, I don't want to toot our own horn, but we were knocking it out of the park. We were churning out features. Our team was uh, executing in a space that other groups had failed to multiple times, and it was high criticality for the company. We made it into the shareholder letter for this multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar company. And so um, when they, when higher ups realized how effective we were, um, they said, we are going to triple the size of that team and then triple the, the types of warehouses they, they affect and triple the number of warehouses they affect. And we want that to happen in a month. And so overnight, we went from being this small, tight-knit, very effective team with a pretty clearly defined mission to being a much, much larger team and trying to decompose all our services and like re-architect on the fly. And it was around the time that I was leaving. So I only got to see the first part of it, but it was also just a really weird day to find that out where they were like, look, we have canceled the charters for these three other teams. We are adding them under you and congratulations, go build this for a lot more places. And on the one hand, it was so cool because we knew we had done something really well. And on the other hand, it was terrifying because we were trying to do that well again, but in three times the warehouses and at three times the scale. Validation, yeah, stretch goal. (laughs) And there's probably an understanding that like what these guys are doing is unique. And if we get 50% 50% of what they were doing on these other three teams were still coming out ahead. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it was probably understanding that we're growing it and it's probably going to lose some of the magic. But if we can even capture some of that as we expand it, we'll, they'll, they'll be not knowing that's exciting. That's a fun yep. experience, but yeah, definitely crazy. Yep. My bizarre one was again, it was probably the least product product features that I worked on in a while. Cause they're dictated regulated features. Uh, but it's the same kind of de- idea of where, uh, and the software we were working on, it was regulated software and you and you could get certified with it. Um, and you literally, though, to be certified, you had to run down this list of, you know, 20, 30 different features that your software had to be able to do. And you literally had to get on with an auditor and walk through every single use case of your software live with an auditor. Um, and like, so it's like full war rooms where you have the SME who knows the software in there driving, you have engineers in there for, Oh crap, that didn't work as expected. And we need this auditor. Like, uh, sorry, that doesn't work. Can we get back to you in two hours as product owner running and prioritizing and defining what went wrong or broken and, and trying to literally get a turnaround on a feature that mostly worked, but the auditor managed to hit the one use case because of the demo curse uh, that didn't work. The demo gods uh, are not the demo god. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Just to go back in and say, okay, hey, we fixed that. We pushed it. Refresh your screen and try it again. And like... Oh, man, it's bizarre. And then you're kind of going like, man, this guy must think we're like hard coding things in the back, which you're not like they can see your code base. Like the whole point is to make sure you can't hard code these things. But it's just that was probably the most bizarre thing. And again, it wasn't as much product owner because it was so dictated to what we had to do. But there was so much coordination and um, that went into that and feature development that went in to make sure that we were meeting these certification requirements. So it was like a year's worth, if not more of effort to get all these features completed to then sit in. Uh, to then sit in this room for days on end with an auditor walking through your software. And I wasn't even the main one, like the features strad across multiple teams, but I mean, there were definitely some core people that delivered that. Then I just got to be around the fringes of it. But that was, that was a crazy day. That is crazy so days, weird. So. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> were there. This is the company demo. that we, I worked at together. <laughs> yeah. That was, that yeah. was intense. To demo, demo a thing in front of someone and demos never go well. Oh. And then to know that your company has a lot riding on it. And yeah, yeah, people won't buy your software unless you have this certification. Yeah. And like you have to get this done. And Mm -hmm. there's never, it's one of those things that's like, 
you know, at the end of the day, it's going to get done. But at the same time, it's just like, oh my gosh, what if we fail? (laughs) You know, it's just like, you've been around the block enough times to where you've been under the pressure, you know, you work through these things, you know, you gather and you regroup and you do it, but still in the back of your mind, you're just like, oh, this could go bad. This Mm -hmm. could go bad. So anyways, that was probably my weirdest day. Any, any closing thoughts? I think I'm going to ask, are there any differences about your current job that make you like it more than the favorite job you've been talking about? Hmm. Because I have one that will make me walk back a lot of what I said on this podcast. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so um, let me go for it. Go, yeah. You go first. You go first. Then. Yeah. So the flip is in my current job, because I kept saying, you know, the the ratio of 70 to 80 percent code was was perfect. And I'm probably at like 30 to 40 percent code right now, 60 to 70 percent people, um, design docs, you know, education, mentoring, stuff like that. And I I. You know, I'm I'm walking back with a lot of what I said, but I think the truth is, at different times in your career as a software engineer, you want different things, and sometimes what you want is to ignore all of the politics and all of the priority, and turn on an IDE and listen to some music and hammer out a bunch of code, and it's really nice. And then sometimes what you want is to be more social, and you want to become a domain expert, and you want to have more influence, and you want to impact priorities and team goals. And so, you know, that's that's the difference between my current job and the job that I had. And I still like it. I like them both. But I think at different times in your career as a software engineer, it's nice to lean into different skill sets. Yep. I would say my current job is just an extension of where I was at previously. So the one that I called my favorite was my first product role. Um, I left product for a short time to go back to more of a business analyst, purely delivery role, definition delivery. And I very quickly wanted to find myself back into product because I love the product space. So the pro- I'm back in a more true product role, but I do have more scope and more seniority where I'm currently at. I mean, seniority would be the wrong word, but just more experience to and more ownership over the products I have. So when I was first a product owner, um, there was still kind of the here's your project color within the lines mentality. Uh, it's where I, I could stretch my product legs a little bit, but there was still an end goal usually defined that I needed to, to try to achieve or hit. Um, now it's very much more, how do you determine what your product should be doing? What are the objectives and the key measurables, uh, the key KPIs and the key work that you're going to do to try to move those KPIs? Like it's a lot more of that, that I have to say over. And again, there's still management and senior leadership that will help redirect if they think you're on the wrong path, but there's a lot more freedom, um, in that. Um, so I'm enjoying that. And it's also getting me a little bit more step away to where, again, it, it gets me a little bit away from this user story to this user story to this user story. It's, it's a little bit, um, there's other people that can help me with that now. Um, and I can really focus more on that larger vision and troubleshooting and design, um, than, than before. But I would say it's mostly just an extension of where I was at before. So, which is a good sign that I'm in a career path that I'm, I'm currently very much enjoying. Yep. Awesome. This has been learnings from the middle. Thanks for listening.